Hello, and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're speaking with Irv Dennis, former CFO at HUD, and his recent book, Transforming a Federal Agency, Management Lessons from HUD's Financial Reconstruction. And uh, this is a fascinating discussion, really get a lot of behind the scenes of someone coming from private sector and uh, taking on the federal CFO position and really making some substantial changes and, as the title says, transformation. So this was a great one. I really enjoyed it. Hope you will as well. Let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Okay, well, today we have a very exciting guest, uh, Mr. Irv Dennis. He was the former CFO at HUD, and uh, he also wrote a book, which we'll be talking about but uh, very excited to have him here today. Hi, Irv. How are you doing today? Thank you, Paul. Thanks for uh, having me on, and um, nice, nice to uh, nice to be uh, joining you today. All right. Well, um, as I mentioned, you do have a book out there. I want to go ahead and let people know about it. It's called "Transforming a Federal Agency: Management Lessons from HUD's Financial Reconstruction," and that's uh, paper or audible I actually listened to it in audible and you know give my little bike ride little jog i was able to hear the whole story so i thought it was really good um so we're gonna go through that a little bit because you you know you're a very interesting example of how a lot of our um some of the politically appointed cfos come in you know you had no government background necessarily you were in the private sector and just all the interesting differences you saw but also all the great things you were able to do so um why don't we just jump into it? If you don't mind, maybe just high level, give us uh, the audience an introduction about yourself, your background, and and why you decided to uh, kind of take the challenge of the, the government service. Yeah, thank you, uh, thank you, Paul. Um, as you as you mentioned, um, I before I joined HUD um, in the administration, I had very little government background experience. I spent thirty seven years with Ernst and Young. Uh, I was an audit partner with them on the CPA. And um, I, I spent my career working on large global accounts, um, and I was an expert in financial excellence. Uh, I did a lot of SEC work and and in the corporate sector. And some of my clients that I was a coordinating partner on were the likes of McDonald's and Abbott Labs and Cardinal Health. Um, we I reached a mandatory retirement age when I was 30 in 2017. After 37 years, and in retirement, I wanted to get back and do meaningful work. And I was actually scheduled to go teach at the Fisher College of Ohio State, but I got an unexpected call from the White House to see if I'd be interested in becoming the CFO at HUD uh, under with uh, Secretary Carson. And I wasn't sure I wanted to do that, but I was intrigued, so I took the initial conversation and interview. And um, I'm really glad I did. I initially wasn't sure I wanted to do that. Um, I, I uh, first of all said no. I wanted to take a pause and relax a little bit. Um, but the more they, uh, we had lots of dialogue. They kept calling, and the more they called, the more my juices would flow. So uh, I live in Columbus, Ohio. They obviously I needed to be in Washington for that. So my wife and I had a lot of conversations on it, and uh, decided to take the challenge. And I'm really glad I did. It was a phenomenal experience. Um, you know, government's a very different and unique perspective compared to the private sector. Um, it was a topic that many people asked me about, so I kept a lot of notes. And at the end of the administration, when when um, I had some time, I ended up, <clears throat> as you say, writing a book called Transforming a Federal Agency to talk about uh, my time at HUD, how we did what we did, and uh, 
drew a comparison from the private sector to uh, the government. Right. And we'll, uh, you know, not give away too much because I definitely recommend folks go out and uh, get the book. It's really, really interesting. But um, I want to hit a few highlights from it just to kind of get wet people's appetite. Right. So um, so why don't you give us a little bit about, you know, so now you're you're appointed, you're in there. You know, what were what were some of the things you saw? What was the state of affairs, so to speak, in the CFO shop those first hundred days you were there? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the reason they wanted to bring some private ex- sector experience in was to improve the financial affairs at that time. It was the last in the cabinet agency from a, from a financial standpoint, uh, infrastructure standpoint. It just was not a picture of health. There was multiple areas in the financial infrastructure that were not functioning properly there. And I'll use this in the CPA terms. There was nine material weaknesses. <clears throat> six significant deficiencies in the controls and uh, disclaimers on the uh, in the audit process where they couldn't get an audit for 10 years. The auditors weren't able to audit it. And I'm not going to bore you with the details of, <laughs> of a definition of material weakness or significant deficiencies, but they're negative words, right? It's, it's uh, there were lots of issues. There was 2,500, 2,500 unremediated audit comments that went back 10 years. Um, the, uh, the the it was just there was 225 congressional reports that were late that were due out of the agency to uh, to Congress. Um, there was multiple government financial reporting. The Data Act, which I'm sure you're familiar with, and the Data Act is is a requirement, a federal requirement, to report and account on uh, grant spending money. They were not in compliance with that. So um, I knew it was in bad shape, but I didn't know how bad it was until I got in there and. I spent the first hundred days just like I did as an auto partner with, uh, with Ernst & Young. Uh, as an auto partner, you can only sign an opinion for five years and the SEC requires you to rotate off. So, you know, I was accustomed to walking into big complex global organizations and uh, um, quickly assessing where the issues are and what do I need to do to sign an audit opinion. I took a very similar approach here. And in the first 100 days, um, what was important to me was to develop relationships. Uh, again, government was new to me. I didn't know any many people at HUD. I didn't know many people throughout Washington. So I spent a lot of time developing relationships uh, within the management team at HUD, with the, uh, the team at our uh, CFO office, uh, with Office of Management and Budget, uh, General Accountability Office, the appropriations staff of Congress and other uh, intergovernmental agencies like the Treasury. All those relationships were important to develop very quickly, and I spent a lot of time focused on that. I had to learn the business. Uh, a second area that I spent a lot of time on, there's 38 programs uh, at HUD. There's also FHA and JDMA, which are big, complex agencies. You know, when I, uh, when I came aboard, it was about a $50 billion budget amongst the programs. And then a two and a half trillion dollar portfolio with FHA and Jenny May. Um, I had to understand the governance structure, uh, and I spent a lot of time in the first hundred days evaluating governance structure within HUD and also people, process, and technology. And I've always said if you can understand those four things of a company, you'll have a very good picture of where the issues are and where the strengths are and what needs to be improved. So. Uh, you know, that, that was my first 100 days focused on relationships, learning the business, evaluating people, process, technology, and governance. 
and understanding how the financial numbers roll up and taking a deep dive into where the issues are with all the material weaknesses and the significant deficiencies. Interesting enough, Paul, uh, many people told me that we would never, we would never get HUD turned around. We'll, we'd never get a clean audit opinion. And uh, by the time I get in, we've had, we had about three and a half years to do it. And um, uh, we were able to, uh, to turn the, the complexity of the uh, infrastructure around and, um, you know, all of the areas of people processing technology needed homework and the governance. So, you know, I attacked it with, from, you know, with those four silos in mind. Right. And uh, we'll go, th- you know, maybe highlight a few of the, the areas that you helped transform. But I, I, I just wanted to mention one thing. I was uh, one thing I thought was pretty interesting, unique. I mean, obviously, you're from an audit back. You come from an audit background and, you know, the IG there actually performed the audits. It wasn't an independent CPA firm. And that's kind of unique. Right. And one thing I liked was that, you know, you were able to actually push back on findings because you did audits. So, you know, what was material, what wasn't. I mean, you want to say a little little about that? I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, Paul, uh, that is interesting. Um, The IG was also a very important relationship that was uh, that we had to nurture and improve. Uh, As you mentioned, the IG was uh, the group that did the financial statement audit of the entity. And they were actually the uh, the only cabinet agency that was not audited by a large accounting firm. And so uh, the, the history of it was such that the, uh, the IG was doing the audit. And I brought a lot of audit credibility in. And there was a relationship flaw between the working relationship between the IG and, and, and HUD, not only on the compliance side, but also on the financial statement side. And it was clear neither team was happy with working with each, with each other. So you know, I, I brought credibility and a mindset that we have to get along with our auditors. Um, it's important to have that relationship. Auditors can help improve financial infrastructure by by having uh, a good relationship and understanding what their issues are. Um, but you know, I would say there was you know faults on both sides. Um, with the financial infrastructure being so weak, it's hard to audit that environment and. The auditors were right to not give us a clean opinion for a lot of years. Um, but the auditors, auditors, I also challenged uh, their approach and how they were doing things. Um, auditing is hard. It's complex. It requires, you know, a risk-based approach versus compliance auditing, uh, which is more precision by looking at an invoice and it's right or wrong. So, you know, the IG did a great job on the compliance auditing. Um, I thought there was some room for improvement on the financial statement audit side. And we work very closely with them to uh, think through um, an audit approach that would make sense for the large, for the size of uh, HUD and the complexity of HUD. And uh, we ended up improving that relationship dramatically, which was really important to the, uh, to the, uh, you know, getting to a clean opinion at the end of the four years that I was there. Right. And let's talk about that. So obviously, you know, for a lot of CFO shops getting a clean audit, I mean, at this point, most agencies have those, but you know, what were some of your approaches to help get HUD to a clean audit and obviously process people technology? Just give us a little insight there. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, once I realized the uh, the governance structure was, was broken, uh, and I'll talk about that in a moment, uh, and then I put the, uh, reviewed the people and process and technology, like I say, all of that uh, needed homework. But I would start off by saying the people side, the people of HUD, as they are most of government, are just phenomenal people, very smart. And 
mission driven, uh, very passionate about what we're doing. So the, the people's energy and and passion for wanting to improve and and helping the American people, which is uh, the mission of HUD, like many agencies, was there. So there was uh, I was really I was happy to see that and. Um, you know, surprised isn't the right word, but I not being involved in government, everyone has their perceptions, but uh, the, the people of HUD were, were phenomenal. What I was focused on on the people side was providing you know, the tools and the mentoring and the, the education to make improvements at HUD. So that was the people side of it. The technology was very antiquated. You know, they were using COBOL in, in many of the programs. It was old, antiquated, clumsy. Uh, weren't able to talk back and forth, so we had a lot of work to do on the technology side. Um, and then process and procedures needed a lot of work too. There was uh, many things that were done uh, on paper still or antiquated emails back and forth. So you, you took a look at the breadth of the environment. Um, and I started to take a transformation approach to it by breaking it down into about eight different sectors. and. You know, it started with leadership. The CFO of, uh, was uh, shopper. The CFO position, I should say, was basically empty for eight years. The the uh, the person that President Obama had appointed, um, unfortunately, unexpectedly, uh, passed away early in his tenure, and they didn't replace the position. So. For all intents and purposes, the uh, the office was uh, they didn't they were without a CFO for, for a long time, which led to a lot of the deterioration. So um, you know, I had to come in um, and develop a vision, talk about improvements, and, and provided the leadership within the CFO shop and throughout HUD to, to make a difference. We needed to get stakeholder buy-in from everyone, um, and this is where it gets. I talk a lot about this in, in the book about the dynamic of leadership within government being different than leadership in the private sector. In in the private sector, you have a board, you have a board of directors, you'll have uh, the CEO and the C-suite, which is the chief operating officer, chief financial officer, chief information officer, et cetera. And that's the leadership team that runs uh, an entity. And you may have a CEO or a board member leave and but you still have the culture there and you still have the strategy and you still have the vision to uh to run the initiatives that you you set for yourself but the entity has set for itself in government that changes every change in administration so every 48 years you got a complete wipeout of the leadership and the policy setters and those that have the vision that they're trying to institute um and uh so that's a huge dynamic so I spent a lot of time very quickly trying to get everyone at HUD thinking about what our vision ought to be and how we want to make improvements. I spent a lot of time getting Congress bought into what we're trying to accomplish, uh, Office of Management Budget, and and the auditors. So I spent a lot of time with the intergovernmental agencies in addition to HUD trying to lay out this vision of what can be and what resources are needed. The very first thing that I focused on was the governance structure. Um, like, Like mentioned, HUD has about 38 different programs that all operated pretty much independently at FHA and Jenny May. And there wasn't a governance structure that they're all cohesively working towards one HUD goal. So I set up this uh, uh, task force, we called it Agency-Wide Integrity Task Force, 
to get all of the leaders, one political, the political leader of the uh, the agencies and the, the C-suite offices, and one career person. And that made up the task force. And we met very, uh, we met uh, every other week early on, and then once a month. And the goal was to focus on what the issues are at HUD, the, from an infrastructure standpoint, what we were trying to accomplish and improve, and how we were going to do it. And that ended up being a very, very strong uh, process to create a more cohesive environment amongst the management team and get HUD operating and, and working together in a much more cohesive fashion. Um, I spent a lot of time uh, just understanding the, uh, the financial transformation that's needed to get us to a clean audit opinion. That was, uh, that was goal and objective number one. And when you have 2,500 open audit, unremediated audit comments, and you have none of the financial reporting working and all the material weaknesses and deficiencies, you know, it's, you can't tackle that all at once. So we, we uh, bifurcated that into the items that would have the most impact to improve the financial infrastructure. So we put a detailed plan in place for that. Um, it required resources. Um, which which required some money from Congress, and, and we'll talk about the complexity of that at some point here. But you know, trying to control resources in government is a little bit different than the private sector. So I spent a lot of time with Congress talking about how we're going to improve, what we need to improve, and committed to them that we could make improvements in the financial infrastructure if they would just uh, give us uh, so, some uh, some budget money. <laughs> they didn't give me everything I wanted at first, but. Gave me enough to get started and gave me a little bit more each year to get to where we needed to be. Um, the IT systems, like I mentioned, were, were old and antiquated, so we spent a lot of time thinking about ways to put cheaper technology on top of our existing infrastructure. Um, you know, it'd probably be one and a half to a billion dollars to replace all the IT systems. That wasn't going to happen in a short period of time, but there's things you can do with robotics and intelligent data extraction and artificial intelligence and you know and, and, and you know IT modernization techniques to make your job uh, easier and so we had a whole initiative on implementation of IT modernization techniques that um, you know doing cloud-based processing working with our customers uh, doing robotics making uh, converting people's routine data processes to robotics freed up a lot of time where people become more data analyzers and, and pushing numbers around on spreadsheets. Uh, we had a large initiative on data analysis and data mining uh, to help drive the business. Uh, HUD as government is, uh, uh, all agencies are filled with lots and lots of data and they're all just sitting in a warehouse locked away. We, we unlocked that warehouse, um, put it into a common readable format and we're able to dashboard up all of our expenditures for the last uh, 25 years or so uh, by uh, by department by grantee by zip code and it was a very powerful tool to push a few buttons on your cell on your uh, phone and your computer and see how much grant money went to where and how much is left to spend it was a very powerful tool and there was more to go by the time we left, and I hope that initiative uh, continues. Um, the the uh, other area that we spent a lot of time on was um, HUD was one of the first agencies to work under a shared service center at Treasury. And 
we spent a lot of time in perfecting that and making that more efficient. Um, we, uh, the, the shared service center was operating about a year before I got there. One thing HUD didn't do when they moved all those processes, the routine processes to the shared service center is we did not change our own, HUD did not change its own business practices. So everything the shared service center was doing, HUD was <laughs> replicating. Um, we got that change very quickly and it freed up a lot of time to have our folks again, get away from the routine data processing to being data analyzers. And uh, once they saw some excitement in these various initiatives between intelligent automations and focused on the right items for for the uh, remediation efforts in the shared service center, people got pretty energized about um, what can be. And that was kind of the turning point to get everyone very focused and excited about uh, the changes we were making. That's a long-winded answer, I know, but that's, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, a high-level discussion of how we went through our transformation. No, that's perfect. Yeah, like I said, uh, you know, you got the book. We can kind of get the deep dive if you want more info because you, you, you did so much there. I mean, there's just, you know, a lot of information I think is really great for any CFO out there to take a look at or any financial manager. Um, yeah, and something I thought was really interesting was, or I have seen this very interesting, it seems like the last few years, what you had, what you did over there really has spread to many federal agencies. I mean, I'm seeing the RPA, I'm seeing the shared service surge again. So maybe it's just you're rubbing off on others there. Well, I spent, you know, I was part of the CFO council and I spent a lot of time talking to other agencies about what we're doing and how we're doing it. And, you know, the prior administration really had a vision of bringing in private sector experience that understood financial excellence to help improve the, and, and modernize the, uh, the infrastructure of government. And so a lot of the things we were doing, I just brought my experience in. And uh, many agencies were, I spent a lot of time talking with, amongst the CFO council and, and with the president's management agenda. Uh, I spent a lot of those meetings that we had. I spent a lot of time talking about the improvements we were making and how we were uh, how we were going about it. And um, you know, it's interesting if you sit back globally and think, how can the government be operating in such inefficiencies? It's it's uh, and I talk a lot about this in, in my book. Um, there's just not a lot of not a lot of um, I, I would say business minds in government at large, uh, certainly not on, on the Hill Congress where really, you know, you need the money to get things done, right? You need the, you need the support of Congress. And there's not a lot of business minds necessarily within the agency. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful as we go forward here and, and, and think about, you know, how do you make changes in government to make it more efficient, to make it more accountable? So, you know, taxpayer funds are not lost to fraud, waste and abuse through, uh, through, uh, through the process, you need better systems, you need better controls. And, um, you know, the government operates, you know, the government operates on a, on a, uh, a the revolution, the industrial revolution infrastructure from the 1900s, right? And they still have a lot of those, those processes in place, if you will. But, you know, the world now operates in a digital revolution. And, you know, the government's infrastructure needs to catch up with the digital revolution to create the efficiencies and the accountability and the efficiencies uh, that, that can happen within, uh, within the agencies. 
Yeah, and just another note. I mean, I remember, I think GSA, their CFO, you know, he came up from private sector as well. And I think he yep. said something like, I want 100 bots in 100 days or something like that. And <laughs> it just, right. makes, you know, I mean, I, that's what I do like about the private sector when you guys come in. I mean, you just put some energy behind things. You're not, you know, let, let's get it done. We have a timeline. Yeah. Hurry up, get it done. You know, I just, I love that. Well, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. When you're in the private sector, um, you can control resources much easier. Uh, and, you know, I think of it as you need two things to make change. And one is people and the other is doll- our dollars. And, you know, in, in the private sector, if you don't have the right people in the right spot, you can make those changes pretty quickly. The hiring side of it and the, the, uh, the firing side or moving someone around into another department is much, much easier, a little more efficient in the, uh, in the private sector. It's harder in government. I mean, and this is not a slam on, on unions, but the unions do have a say in how you do things with, with employees and it makes it, uh, makes it harder. It's, uh, you know, the hiring process in government could take eight to nine months just to get someone on board, which is, you know, not, not overly efficient when you're trying to make change. Um, to move someone or terminate someone is very difficult in government. So you don't have the same level of flexibility. And the same with the dollars. Um, you know, I got a great education on the, the budgetary process. And I always used to make a joke. I can't go buy a cup of coffee unless Congress allows me to. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's a, the budget process is long. It's, a, it's at least an 18 month process by the time we have discussions through getting the, uh, the month of pro- getting the ability to appropriate the funds. Uh, and the private sector, uh, if, you know, once you agree on an initiative, it's much easier to have the resources available to you from a budget standpoint and easier to procure uh, outside help to help you do something and get contractors on board. You know, the whole procurement process, and this is another thing I talk about in my book, the whole procurement process is is uh, complicated in government. It, it, it could take up to a year to get contractors on board. So the, the ability to control resources to move at the speed that you want to move is, is uh, much more difficult in uh, government. Right. So you, you have to work around that by, um, you know, working with Congress and doing the best you can, uh, working with uh, your contractors and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing for you and, and uh, have your, have, uh, you know, have the career folks bought into what you're doing so you can just can continue once uh, there are changes in the uh, administration. So I think you did cover a lot of the, you know, one of the favorite questions people ask you, what's the difference between the private sector and the government? And you've kind of covered a lot of that. Um, I thought the one I think we had talked about before that was kind of funny was, can you imagine a private company having, you know, unclean opinions for so many years and still be be in business? Well, it's interesting. You're right. I, 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 uh, I made a comment early on in the process that, um, with nine material weaknesses and, lack of an audit opinion and all the deficiencies and the controls, a private company cannot operate like that. And they wouldn't operate like that. The the shareholders would pull out, the banks would pull out. Um, And quite frankly, the SEC doesn't allow a public company to operate and uh, trade their shares uh, without an audit opinion that's uh, unqualified or a clean opinion. Um, So it's... uh, you know, the, the government does operate in a very, uh, you know, the, the, the accountability side and is a little bit different in, in government. And, and by that, I mean, you think about the root cause of what, you know, why is, 
what is the issue here? How can you operate this long with this many issues? And there's, you know, I, I think there's just much more accountability and consequences in the private sector. Uh, and like I said, if, if um, there would be changes at the management team, there would be changes at leadership, there'd be changes at the board level. If a company was operating without clean audit opinions with all of these, uh, with all of the material weaknesses, um, there would be mandated changes by someone or some influence. Um, there's a lots of oversight in government. You've got the IG, you've got the General Accountability Office, you've got congressional oversight, and you see their oversight in their reports, but there weren't any changes in the people or the process to improve. So I, I think, you know, accountability and the consequences is much stronger in the private sector than it is in, in government. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, people always ask, what is the big difference between the private sector and the public sector? And I, I would always start off by saying um, <laughs> the, the the business model is very different, um, meaning that the in the private sector, the goal is to make money and increase shareholder value. Um, you know, no, no, no company is going to stay in business by losing money. So the number one thing is you've got to create enough revenue to generate money to keep doing what you're doing and either produce or provide services. So you know, you've got to create shareholder value and money. It's the number one goal of a private sector entity. In the public sector, the goal is to spend money. I mean, it's uh, the, the goal is to provide services to the American people and you do that through spending money. So, you know, the two very different objectives and that's what, you know, folks would tell me that that's, uh, you know, even though I'm very focused on financial excellence, the, uh, the, the goals were different from the private sector. And, and my response to that was, I, I understand that the, the, the business model is different, but the financial infrastructure has to have the same level of expertise and discipline and controls around it. They're just spending taxpayer monies, and you want to make sure that taxpayer monies are being spent efficiently, effectively, without fraud, waste, and abuse, and that requires a strong financial infrastructure. And, you know, it's uh, it's just not it's not a lot of minds in government that think along that, that that way. So until that happens, you, you you probably continue to operate with some of this inefficiency and, and ineffectiveness until, you know, that mindset is permeated throughout the, throughout the government. My prior administration, you know, did focus on this with the uh, American office, the office of uh, American innovation out of the White House. Um, they were trying to push this through shared service centers to help agencies become more efficient. Uh, I don't exactly know where that stands in this new administration, but I thought that was an important initiative and hopefully that's continuing to uh, sustain itself. And you're right, the uh, CFO at GSA was very focused on this. He came from the prior sector. and He, he was doing a phenomenal job in pushing uh, robotics and intelligent automation techniques through, uh, through the agencies. Yeah, I think a lot of that is here to stay, thankfully, and we keep spreading the word here at AGA, so I think it's it's good news story. So I just had a Yeah, I, I think, you know, AGA, I think, does a great job in keeping – um, government infrastructure improvements uh, front and center through various uh, aspects and meetings and, and education. So AJ's been, a, I think, is a good source for government to keep keep focused on, you know, financial 
uh, improvements and uh, discipline within within the government agency. So uh, hats off to that organization. Absolutely. Well, I just had a couple of last questions for you here as we're wrapping up. Uh, I figured we'd end it on um, kind of some of your positive things that you saw when you were in the public sector. Obviously, you did this because you wanted to make a difference, and I think yeah. you definitely mentioned some really great things you enjoyed while you were doing your job there. Maybe you could share that with us, and then we'll just finalize it with uh, kind of what are you doing now. So take it away. Yeah, so um, I will say, um, you know, I was told before I went into uh, the administration, again, I'm retired, you know, 37 years, I should have been tired and and uh, and, and just wanted looking to relax, but uh, I, I took this challenge on and I'm really glad I did. It's one of my favorite three and a half years in, in my life. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal experience working for the American people and, and, and driving change where you can and um, I, I, I very much enjoyed um, watching the government employees and public service people um, and, and, uh, work for the American people in ways that it just doesn't get any coverage. Um, like I mentioned, there's a lot of brilliant minds inside of government, uh, the R&D folks, and, um, and, and very mission driven. And that was very comforting and actually quite rewarding to see. And I talk about this in my book. I'm kind of embarrassed to say I didn't really expect that when I went into government, but there's a lot of great people that are really focused on doing the right thing. And, and the, 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 the American people, if they knew how hard both political appointees and career folks worked, especially in a time of crisis, it's, uh, it was very, very, impressive to see and anytime you know the natural disaster all the energy that the government puts into uh, Puerto Rico as an example with a hurricane uh, a lot of energy goes into making sure people's lives continue in a positive way during that, that crisis and that was very very uh, impactful to see another crisis that uh, people worked around the clock on was during the 35-day shutdown people worked very hard to make sure resources got to where they needed to be so there wasn't a disruption in people's lives and then uh, all the energy that went around the cares act um, they were three i would call crisis management modes that uh, the, the government spent the, the, the government employees political and career spent a lot of time uh, making sure that uh, the american people were continued to be served and the services weren't disrupted um so uh, actually you know, what, what am I doing now? A few of us from uh, HUD, uh, Secretary Carson, uh, one of, he founded an entity called American Cornerstone Institute. And the institute is about promoting founding principles of our country in the areas of uh, faith, life, liberty, and community. And we're doing that through education programs. And one of the things I'm working on with the, uh, I'm a founding board member, and one of the things that uh, we're working on our educational programs, and one that I'm specifically focused on is educating people on the executive branch. And the goal is to get civic-minded students or professionals at any point in their career to go into the executive branch. Um, and and it's, a, it's, a, it's a career that I didn't think about in college. I wasn't aware of it, um, but I'm sort of I'm really focused on we're de developing a uh, executive branch one-on-one certification process and also developing guest lecturing courses to, uh, to talk to students about the benefits of a career in the executive branch and 
uh, and guys like me. And you can make a career coming out of college or someone that wants to get back and do public service after a, a successful career. You know, I think it's a great avenue to uh, keep yourself busy and do meaningful work. And I always say to folks that um, if I had spent three years or four years in the executive branch or public service to understand how laws are made, how policy is made, uh, how money flows, how grant money goes from the treasury out to to the state and local levels. I may have been a better advisor to my uh, to my clients as as an audit partner. And then I also say conversely, if everyone in the infrastructure of government had spent three or four years in the private sector understanding financial excellence and understanding uh, automation and IT modernization techniques. The infrastructure of uh, financial infrastructure and government would be more effective and efficient. So, um, I, I'm my my uh, my hope is over time, the private sector influence continues to embed itself in government. So, um, so uh, you know we can make sure that we're getting money and resources to those that the, uh, the government serves in a more efficient and effective way. Well, Irv, this has been fascinating. Uh, you know, thanks for your service, and I'm happy you're retired now, but it sounds like you won't be uh, sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> nice and busy, but <laughs> exactly. that's the nature. But, exactly. yeah, but thanks again for joining us today, and I really appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for, uh, for introducing the, the book, Transforming a Federal Agency. It's, uh, it's a book that talks about all of this in much more detail, and I appreciate the positive feedback. Thank you. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. AGACGFM.org is where you go, or any of your smart devices where you get your podcasts. Make sure to download it, subscribe, recommend it to your friends. And again, Irv's book is out there. You can go to any bookseller or even get an audiobook like I did and check it out while you're having a jog. Again, it was a great book, and I really recommend you check it out. So uh, until that next time... This is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA.